Darren Korb, the musical composer for the game Hades, and the voice of Zagreus and Skelly. Thank you so much for being a guest in the Academy of Esports podcast today. Thanks for having me. You don't sound like Zagreus. No. no. I'm not going to ask you to do it. I'm not going to ask not you to do it. Not regular speaking voice, no. <laughs> well, and again, uh, as Darren and I were kind of chit-chatting before and uh, we emailed, it was so funny to find out that you and I are basically Barry at Contemporaries. I mean, we're a couple of, I'm a little older. I'm only a few years older than you, but we grew up about 30 miles from each other. Yeah. Uh, he was down, Darren, you're from the San Jose area. And in yeah. fact, you went to the same high school that all three of my uncles went to <laughs> Bellarmine high school. Oh, yeah. uh, I almost went to Sarah, which is the rival school just yep. up the road in San Mateo. But it's just so funny to just, to, you know, it, you think like, oh, this amazing game. And then I just reached out to your company. I was like, I would really like to interview Darren Corb. And they're like, and you emailed me back. You're like, sure, let's do this. So. <laughs> I'm talking a lot because I'm fanboying a little bit. Darren, um, as we were talking about the game uh, uh, Hades here, I don't even know how to start. I mean, this game is so awesome. How does one start even the process? Well, before we even get into the process of how you made the music, first off, how, how did you even come to being in this industry of composing music? Because this is your third game, I believe, that you've fourth, really... Yeah, fourth game. Okay. Yeah. What what is a what is a little bit of the pathway that got you to where you are today is amazing success. I kind of have a weird uh, path into the industry. It wasn't something that I knew was a career path even before I started doing it. Um, you know, I was interested in music and recording and songwriting and producing or you know music production and stuff, and that was sort of my main focus before starting you know working on games though i grew up playing and loving games and and enjoying music for games and and thinking about um games a lot (laughs) and um you know i was at the time i got involved just before i got involved with bastion i was you know living in new york trying i just finished you know i went to nyu and i studied sort of a individual individualized major with a combination of music production and music business with a little bit of humanities and poetry and all that stuff thrown in there. Mm. And, uh, and I was just trying to do anything I could in music, any sort of gig that I could get. I was interning in a recording studio. I was writing songs and I was trying to, I wrote a musical with my brother. <laughs> I, uh, I was, I was, you know, I did a couple of little tiny spots for an infomercial one time. And I, <laughs> you know, and I, I, uh, I wrote a song for an independent movie, but, but that, yeah, that was it. That was basically all my composing experience before my buddy, Amir Rao, who I grew up with, uh, straight out of college, he went to work at EALA on the Command and Conquer series. And I, as a designer, and I was so thrilled for him and was sort of vicariously living the, you know, like the dream through him of like, wow, you're working games. That's so amazing. And a few years later, he decided to kind of strike out uh, on his own with with a couple of people from EA mm-hmm. and co-found Supergiant and began work on Bastion and, and at that time he just kind of asked me to to do it to to do all the audio for this game he was working on because he thought I could do it not because I had any experience or qualifications or anything <laughs> <laughs> so literally it's just the buddy who goes I know you you can you could do this for me yeah so it's having somebody else who believed in you to really kind of 
get on the horse, if yep, you will. Ab- absolutely. And, and, and that was it. And I've never, you know, that's what I've done ever since he, he you know, since he asked me to do that. Um, yeah. and, and Pyre was the first game, right? Uh, so Bastion was first, then, oh, Bastion. Sister, then Pyre. And then, okay. Yeah. But I mean, again, you know, to create music, you know, it's not like it's good to have, I guess, a story to kind of build around. But, you know, how much of the game do you as the musical composer need to know about it? You know, think about like a John Williams who has to I, I assume John Williams was got to see all the Star Wars movies well before, you know, they were created and composed uh, the, the, the the very memorable musical scores for all these amazing movies he's done. How did you, you know, work with a team to develop let's let's start with bastion okay you know sure. your first time out was it like okay here's the game and now i'm going to make the music or was it like a, a hand-in-hand kind of process it it definitely was more uh happening in tandem you know the the i i had access to the project from the very early stages and 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 you know every subsequent project i've been involved from the beginning playing prototypes you know talking about sort of high level ideas for what the tone of the project is going to be and how we would like the music or the, the tone of the, you know, the, the game to feel as a whole and, and what kind of aesthetic we're going for. And I, you know, that that's straight away the first kinds of conversations that we have. And usually what will happen at the beginning of a project is I'm sort of prototyping musical ideas while the game is being prototyped. And then, you know, we just start throwing the music into the game and seeing how it feels. Mm-hmm. And that sort of, that's sort of the way it works. I mean, it's not, it's it's I'm pretty different, I think, from scoring uh, for film or something, which is just to picture. You know, you mm-hmm. have a locked, done thing that you get sent. It's all time locked. The editing's done. <laughs> you you know, you score it exactly to to what you're seeing. And you know, it's it's a pretty different um, process, I think, that that I that I go through. And do you look back on, like, say, Bastion being your first game and now Hades, of course, do you look back and go, oh, my gosh, what was I doing back then with that first one? And again, kind of learned along the way some trip, uh, you know, tips or tricks or, you know, new technologies that made your process maybe a little easier or, or kind of enlightened you a little more as you look back on these things? You know, it's interesting because I, I certainly am able to like I, I, I have a lot more experience and understanding of how to implement some of this stuff now and a better understanding of how everything works. But I don't, I tend not to look at stuff I've done previously through that lens of like, Oh, I wish I had done all these things because, you know, part of, I think something that is baked into the culture at Supergiant is embracing the constraints that we have Mm. and working within those and kind of doing, leaning into them and using them to the best of our ability. Right. And, and, and so the constraint for, you know, on Bastion, for example, the way the audio was all integrated into the game was through this free middleware that was not powerful and did not have a lot of capabilities. And, and I just, we just all sort of, the, the, that was the constraint and it could do what it could do. And the music was composed accordingly, you know? And, uh, and once we had options, more options for how to implement the music and implement the audio, I expanded and, and you know, try to branch out in terms of uh, my understanding of how to do that stuff and what we were able to actually integrate into the game. So 
I think it's it's a process, you know, and I, I'm I'm pleased with how those games turned out. When I go back and play Bastion now, sure, I mean, I think the mix could be better, and I think there could be some this and that, but it's not like, you know, it's not. Uh, I don't I don't have a desire to go and do that now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think I'm happy with how it turned out, and you know. Well, I, I guess it's it's more to help you know students through this growth mindset idea, right? Of yeah. you know you are you're here now and. You know, we, we always want kids to, especially kids in our program, we want them to just take a chance. We want them to experiment, to yes. grow and and not just feel like I have to have it perfect. You know, I, I tell people the first episode of this podcast that I ever did, it looked like a hostage video where I had like a camera, you know, it felt like it was about six inches from yeah. my face. And I had yeah. this dead eye stare of just yeah. so serious looking yeah. at the camera. Um, but you know, it, 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 it's good that you also take it and you go, you know, I'm proud of that. You know, it sounds like you're very proud of that work, obviously, yep. that you can still enjoy it, even though, you know, like you hear the couple of things that maybe you go, oh, there was that one, you know, thing maybe that was missed. I, I, I also have a musical background, not to the level you were, but, you know, being in a marching band in, in middle school and high okay. school and college cool. and I'll hear recordings and you hear parts, you just go, oh, I, I know where this mistake. Well, I heard this note, yeah. note that's off. What and I don't know if you feel the same way about yours, but what what kind of I guess you know speaking to that that experience, what were the things that kind of prepared you maybe in high school or college to be in the role that you are right now? Like, what was the musical instrument you played in high school, or did you play sure, a musical yeah. instrument? Yeah, yeah. Were you part of the band? So I wasn't part of the band. I was a rocker. You know, I I I played in rock bands, and I started playing guitar when I was around eleven. And writing songs and playing in bands and I picked up the bass and the drums and and so I'm sort of like the rock all of the sort of rock instruments are, are what I play and I sing um, I've been singing since I was a kid and doing musical theater and stuff all from when I was about five until all the way through high school pretty much hmm. um, so so I have you know I have a musical background but it's not you know I do not have a traditional composers background you know, I'm not much of a keyboard player. I don't really read music. I mean, I can read music a little bit, but not great, you know. <laughs> and and so my background, you know, my my sort of songwriting, rock instrument playing and recording is sort of are the tools that I use to to compose. Um, and then, of course, you know, I, I I've picked up some skills along the way and I can, you know, play enough keys to input MIDI and do, you know, and I can, mm -hmm. I've, I've, I'm always trying to sort of improve my understanding of, you know, shore up my weaknesses and expand my comfort zone and, and, you know, do things that are sort of outside of what I can currently do. Um, you know, it, it's not creatively exciting unless it's like a little bit scary, you know? So I always I love try that. To, I love always, that. I always try to just, you know, just go a little, a little bit further outside of where I'm fully comfortable um, each time. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's speaking to the growth mindset thing too. I, you know, I'm really something that it took me a long time to internalize was trying to not be so precious about the material that you're working on. Um, you know, not every lyric has to be exactly perfect. When you think of it, you just write it, you just get it, you, you do it, you put it down, you get it out and then you can, you can tweak it later if you decide to, but a lot of times what happens is you come back to it and you're like, oh yeah, that's good. I like that. You know, <laughs> you're critical of yourself while you're doing it. But then, so I think it's really important to sort of learn to trust your creative instincts. And that's something that I, I had to, it took me a while to internalize and it's, you know, it goes back to, you know, in school I was 
you know, I'd procrastinate on, on writing papers and stuff. And I'd kind of self, I'd sit there with a blank page and be edit the first sentence a hundred times. And I was like, nah, I don't like that. I don't like that. You know, and it's just, I, you know, the thing that you got to do, I, it took me forever to sort of really take this to heart is to just write, just go express the idea, fix the, the way you're expressing it later and, and go back and, and, and I, I think having internalized that across, you know, all the sort of creative disciplines I work in and, and, mm-hmm. and everything has been really, really helpful to being able to just sort of, you just got to go, you just got to do it. And then you can't really evaluate it until it exists anyway. So just make it exist and then you can evaluate it. <laughs> yeah, that's great advice. I have a lot of, uh, our scholar gamers in our, in our yeah. school district, we have our, our, uh, art, we call it the art, not memes channel. We had to separate the two out because you yeah. couldn't put a memes channel with an art channel. Yeah. But there are some kids who just over the last two years, I know, who have been, I'll say the word brave, to yeah. share their artwork and get feedback from other students, which yep. for a lot of kids is a very, I guess, scary thing. And it, yep. and it sounds like, again, with you growing up with a, with a more of a rock background and, uh, again, just experimenting with instrumentation. And it's funny you said that you can't, you know, you can read a little bit of music. If you If you told me to play a B flat for you. I couldn't tell you what a B flat was, but I could, if you showed me the note on a page, I'm, I'm like, yeah. Oh, I know that that's this, <laughs> that's this fingering here. I can absolutely do that. So I, yeah. you know, it, it is, it does speak to the, um, you know, how the language of music is very different than reading. It's not like math. It's, it's, it's like you feel it or you can read it. You don't have to know all the nuances and all the parts of music and stuff to, to make it, yours. And I think that's where I think a lot of is you're kind of alluded to, you know, start, get going, get to work on it. Don't obsess over every little bit. And again, as you said, you know, even if you if it's not perfect out the gate, every lyrics not right or whatever, get something going. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's really powerful to be able to once something exists, then you can start to analyze it and think about, OK, how can I what don't I like about this? How can I improve that? You know, I don't love the drum sound on this. How can I get these drums to sound like drum sounds that I do like on my favorite records? And how do I, you know, what are the techniques? And then you go and you do some research and you figure it out and you experiment and you get some plugins, whatever, whatever you're doing, you know, and, and it's just a kind of a constant process of trying to tweak and adjust and, and figure out how to get to make something that sounds as cool to you as your favorite stuff, you know, is sort of the, the for me, that's kind of how I like to like to operate. It's like, how can I evoke that goosebumps feeling I get when I listen to this one Bjork song or whatever? Like, how can I do that? You know, like, well, and I think that speaks to, to, I like how you talk about that. Cause I'm going to ask you about your influences mm-hmm. again, where we grew up, we had amazing access to music that I think that mm-hmm. we didn't even realize what was what how good it was. I mean, the Shoreline Amphitheater, which is now where Google headquarters practically mm-hmm. is, had some of the biggest acts come through every year. We, uh, My radio station, I don't know what you listened to growing up. I listened to Live 105 like constantly mm-hmm. that sure. that was that was my number one station. But also like the the, the hip hop genre was huge. I like, you know, digital underground. I mean, oh, my God, MC Hammer. I mean, mm-hmm. if, you, if you're living in the Bay Area and the oh, late, yeah. 
late 80s, early 90s, and you didn't, yeah. know, you didn't have an MC Hammer job, well, he just overlooked you, apparently, because yeah. he gave everybody else a job in the Bay Area. <laughs> what were some of the... I had some Hammer pants when I was, uh, <laughs> I believe. I would think I was I was pretty young when that happened. I was I must have been like eight or something when Hammer was, oh, was doing he, his thing. That was your wheelhouse. You probably went and saw Adam's family, too, I'll bet you. <laughs> I, I definitely did, yeah. Yeah, but who are some of your influence or what it doesn't necessarily have to be musical mm-hmm. maybe yeah. it was like i said a radio station or an author or something who are some of your influences that helped to like bring you where you're at with your work right now yeah i mean there's a lot of bands in particular that i i love growing up and i you know i'm always sort of looking for to expand what i listen to but growing up you know i listened to a lot of the beatles and they might be giants and the first couple of weezer albums and you know uh York and uh, Not a Surf and um, all sorts of stuff. Image and Heap and you know all sorts of stuff. Uh, Radiohead is a really big one for me, um, and Led Zeppelin, you know, mm-hmm. and on and on the Pixies and, and so forth. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I've I've you know I had like a I knew what I liked, I and I and I for for a while was like real. You know that teenage thing where you're like, I don't like any of that other stuff. I only like this. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but eventually, you know, eventually, I sort of expanded my my. I was able to sort of find things to appreciate about a wider uh, range of things. But I for for a while, I was pretty like, I don't know. You know, <laughs> thought about a lot of different stuff and sort of pop music. And I've 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 like come to terms with pop music and the things that are about that I I like about it. And that you know, as an adult, I've sort of backed off my my hard line stance about <laughs> what i think is good and what i don't you know i love that you brought up they might be giants because there's a band i think that has taken a really has had an incredibly unique career they were very much the, you know the alternative rock genre of the 80s and 90s but then all of a sudden i'm an adult and i have i, I don't know if you have kids i have yeah. three kids yeah, kid, yeah. and all of a sudden i'm listening to mickey mouse clubhouse and i'm like wait a second i know that voice that's why do i might be giants. Yeah. that's my beach they're they're yeah. singing the mickey mouse clubhouse yeah. song and yeah. then they've got their one two three abc oh, yeah. their science album i'm like yeah. this is brilliant yeah. not only are they finding a market for kids albums which oh my gosh how how smart is that yeah. but they're introducing kids to their music and getting him familiar with their voice at a very young age, yep. it, it it almost that. And again, putting it into comics and cartoons, there seems to be like that could be like a crossover idea, even for game developers when it comes to music, because some of these yeah. games like the Mario theme is something mm-hmm. that kids hear and they just go, I know what that is. Mm-hmm. You know, do you find that as well, too? Or are, are there are there songs or, or games that you think back to and go, oh, I remember that. And now I'm uh, that that has helped influence me as well, too. Yeah, certainly. I mean, there were some things as, that I experienced as a little kid that made a big impact on me. Um, you know, one of the one of the most impactful games musically, actually, for me as a kid was Marvel Man- Madness for the NES. Do you remember that oh game? My, yes. Marvel Madness. Um, and it was specifically the NES version. I just thought the score for that was so weird and cool and just like, like what is this? I mean, the whole aesthetic of that game is crazy because you know it's like an isometric like mc escher thing where you're a marble you know (laughs) it's it's super weird for nintendo and everything's a side scroller you know or extremely 2d this at least had these sort of illusion of 3d and yeah it was it was really interesting um and i i I played the heck out of that game and, and loved it and um i you know 
that that soundtrack really kind of blew me away. And uh, also Bionic Commando, I thought had a really, really great soundtrack for the NES. And then, you know, a few years later, uh, Dungeon Keeper. The original Dungeon Keeper was made by Bullfrog. And it's a PC game where you sort of manage, you build a little a dungeon. You're you're the bad guys, you know. The the tagline for the game is "Evil is good," <laughs> and and you sort of build a dungeon, and and the whole point of it is to like defend against the heroes when they come and try to invade your dungeon and and kill you, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. And but the the score for that game really made an impression on me because you know it was a, it was a CD ROM, and the first track is the game, and like the other eight tracks are all the music you know mm-hmm. <laughs> back in the day and i burned that cd and i put it in my car and listened to it but but the, the music for that game is like half sound design half score and it kind of weaves in and out from like creepy ambient sound design into like weird industrial music that's like eccentric you know and then back into the sound design it's very very cool and it's just so evocative tonally and such a such a really wonderful, um, I mean, it's it, it 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 is responsible for a lot of the feel of that game, in my opinion. And that game has such a wonderful feel and is so cohesive tonally speaking. Um, yeah, really cool game. I I recommend checking it out checking it out. It's really dated at this point, visually speaking, but it it's uh, super fun. There's it's amazing how um, you know again just like how smells bring up ideas and it, visuals sometimes do as well too. Yeah. Names, names to me don't bring up nearly as many ideas, but the sounds and the smells are the things that get me every time. Yeah. Yeah. And and especially when it comes to video games, even if it's just an eight bit game or a 16 bit game or something you hear, like I said, that, that, that super Mario brothers sound, you know yeah. what it is. Final fantasy seven before the, the, the remake and everything, yeah. The, the original Final Fantasy VII, you hear that music and just how these musicians had to work with these amazing constraints and they couldn't use, you know, all the, the of the, the musical, you know, score or, or a selection of instruments that they wanted yeah. to, what they could put together with just this very simple computer MIDI, yeah. you know, system. It's, it's amazing how those things evoke such memories. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, what are some of the tools as you're as you're developing going again from Bastion being the first game till Hades now? Mm-hmm. What have been some of the key tools that you have used to help you design the music for these games? Yeah, so <clears throat> I do uh, all of my music production in Logic Pro. Um, I think it's a really powerful, awesome piece of software, and I've I've sort of dabbled in a bunch of different uh, recording softwares over the years, and and that one is just kind of I just, it just works for the way that I like to work the best. Um, it kind of comes out of the box with all the plugins you need, basically, and has a bunch of great sense. And you don't really need to spend a bunch more money on extra plugins to integrate, you know. <laughs> and it has a lot of great presets. Um, so I've really found that useful in just getting the thing in my head to being a recorded thing I can listen to like really fast, and and mm. and having the sound I have in mind dialed in in just you know a minute or seconds instead of you know a couple hours or something it takes to get a guitar sound in a recording studio you know miking up an amp and doing the eq do you know do turn it futzing with all the knobs forever um so it just it's just the workflow is so great anyway that's a really useful tool for me i could go on and on about that um and then for audio integration into the game we use a middleware called fmod studio 
um, from transistor forward. And uh, it's really, that's been really powerful in terms of how I've been able to implement the music and, and the audio mm-hmm. um, in general. And uh, I've, it's allowed me to experiment with like multi-channel music and sort of turning stems on and off and using markers to advance through a piece and et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's, that's allowed me to, to do a lot more stuff uh, in terms of <clears throat> how I put the, integrate the piece into the game. And, and it, you know, as you started to do the work on Hades, because Hades wasn't a game that came out this year. I mean, the early release has been, I believe, two years now, right? Is It's been yeah, about two years? Early access launched, yeah, two years ago, yeah. And, and how did you, I guess, get in the mindset? I mean, granted, you're a voice in the game, which is, mm-hmm. you know, will help, I guess, tremendously, because now you know the game from inside and out because you have to record all the, oh, sure. the vocals. But what, how did you come across, as you called it, <clears throat> Mediterranean prog rock Halloween. How did you <laughs> even settle on that? I mean, if somebody said yeah. to me, okay, start making a game around this Greek theme, I'm going to Greek town in Chicago and I guess yeah. I'll just sit, you know, at the Parthenon for hours and just yeah. listen to Kazuki music or something. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, I, I wanted, so, 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 you know, it takes place in the ancient Greek underworld. So it's sort of vaguely, ancient Greece, but it's really a fantasy thing more, you know, because it's, it's using all these, the, the, this mythology stuff and the Greek gods and the pantheon and all that stuff. And you're, you're fighting undead and, you know, whatever, <laughs> ghosts and things like that. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel the need to have it be re- like traditional gr- ancient Greek sounding stuff, mm-hmm. but I wanted a little bit of that flavor in there. So the Mediterranean, I wanted like a pan Mediterranean sort of influence. Um, and it's not, you know, period accurate to ancient Greece because, you know, the, it's like an Aulos and then a lyre or whatever. And it's not a lot of stuff you can do with those instruments, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're kind of weird and they're they have very specific tunings and, uh, so I, I, I checked that stuff out, but, but basically, you know, when I started working on the project, I kind of researched a bunch of instruments and figured out which ones I could acquire and then sort of reasonably maybe play, learn to play fairly easily. Anything sort of guitar shaped was the requirement basically. <laughs> and so I picked up a bozuki, a lavta, which is sort of like a Turkish lute with frets mm. and, uh, and then a uh, uh, balama, which is like a saz, like a long neck Turkish uh, instrument. Oh, yeah, like it looks like a big guitar. Almost, um, it's got it's weirdly shaped. Um, it's as we're trying to do this on screen, and people yeah, who are listening to this just as a podcast. <laughs> it's strangely shaped. It has it has three courses of strings only. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's got like a octave doubled, and then a low high high. The third course of strings has three strings on it. So. So it sort of sounds like, a, you know, almost like a mix between a sitar and a 12 string guitar or something or, you know, okay. I don't know. and um, it's got kind of a interesting, interesting sound. Um, and it's and the strings are pretty loose. So it's got like not a lot of sustain. It's got like an interesting kind of percussive vibe. Um, and so anyway, I, I got those instruments and, and just sort of started messing around and, and going to town. And, and that for me was sort of one aspect of the sound. Um, you know, 
at a certain point, we decided that the game was going to take place in the Greek underworld. Mm. And I knew, well, if the game takes place in hell, I got to have some metal. Yes. <laughs> because it comes from hell. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got to have some rock and roll in there. And I figured, you know, something with interesting, strange time signatures that feels uh, the most unsettling. So bringing some of that stuff in there uh, was something that I wanted to do. And I also later realized that a lot of different types of folk music have weird time signatures in them too, um, which is sort of a, a sort of a connection point between those two things and, and a way that I could play those against each other or, or juxtapose those things. And then, you know, that the Halloween music part, I wanted to express the tone of the game uh, like another aspect of the tone of the game and the music, which is even though it's sort of kind of like a, it could potentially be a pretty somber, dark setting, the tone mm-hmm. of the game is actually pretty light and fun and kind of quirky. And I wanted to express some of that quirk. So there's like a sort of faux spooky Halloween music element, yeah. which is the thing. It's kind of like a theremin type sound that I, a, that I a lot of minor chords in that whole thing. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a lot of minor stuff. And, and for, for the, you know, the, for me, the Halloween music aspect of it is represented specifically by the, the theremin sound, mm-hmm. which, which, you know, expresses kind of very quickly is like a shorthand for some of the lightness that the, that the game has. I also love to this, this and this, and I, I don't know how this works. Maybe you can brief. I don't know if this is a huge, like mm-hmm. how the heck does this happen, but I'll find myself because I, I, I still don't care about dungeon runs, and I'm going to ask you about your escape time here in just a second here, because the best I can do is 24 minutes so far. Yeah. But yeah, the you, you finish a dungeon room. Yeah, I forgot what we call them. Um, yeah, yeah, chamber. The, chamber. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And you get this low bass line. Yeah. And I'll just hang out and listen to the bass line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love a good bass line. I was a t- I was a tuba player, so yeah, I'm all yeah, yeah. I always listen for the bass line. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that I can just hang out and just go like, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, just this cool. this I just my heart rate is still going. Yeah. Right. I need to come down before yeah. I go to the next yeah. chamber. Yeah, cool That's brilliant. But again, as we were talking earlier, you know about how yeah. movies and video games are a little different. How the heck does one even program that to happen where it just so seamlessly just all of a sudden you end it and it just calms down to this yeah. this subtle baseline? Yeah, well, that's that's all the FMOD integration stuff. That's dynamic music at work, you know. So the way I have that implemented is I have three different tracks, uh, stems in FMOD that are sort of playing simultaneously, sort of like you would have in a in a DAW, right? In a in, in Pro Tools or Logic or whatever. You have three tracks playing simultaneously, and then you're just hearing the stereo mix of all three of those tracks. <laughs> and we can control through script, uh, you control the volumes of those three tracks independently. And so it's a simple like when combat's over, turn off the stuff that isn't the bass, you know? Mm-hmm. Turn off the drums and uh, and then we also have another sort of system in place where each chamber it'll play some randomized combination of either drums bass and guitars drums and bass or just drums and and so it has these three combinations of things it can do um, when you start the fight and then when the fight ends it'll just turn off the drums based on whatever arrangement of stems is, is playing um, so yeah it's uh, you know part of that was to to address the question of how do you 
extend the life of the music for a game you expect people to play for potentially hundreds of hours. I mean, they're going to recurse through the same content over and over and over again. I'm about 100 hours in right now myself. Yeah, and if exactly. I didn't have a job, I'd be 200 hours in right yeah, now. Exactly. And and so how do you keep the music fresh? And through some experimentation, you know, my I sort of theorized that you could keep one of the ways you can keep the music fresh is by changing the way in which people hear the music constantly. And mm-hmm. so that you're not really just listening to the same piece of music over and over. It's it's really kind of tailored it's random, semi-randomized, and then also tailored to your experience. How quickly you advance through the chambers determines when it moves to the next section of the piece and so on and so forth. I, I do love, too, that I was able to reach out to you on Twitter because I think a while ago I had quite, you know, as the as the digital uh, copyright Millennium Act stuff was starting to percolate, obviously the game soundtrack is available on Spotify, wherever you want to listen to your music. Yep. And it, it was the very serious question about, well, if I'm playing this game, which has this amazing soundtrack, and I would love to lead into this podcast episode. Normally I have like a little, you know, 8-bit sounding song. I want to lead in with like the the opening song to the game. Yeah. Um, you're very open about like, hey, if you're playing the game and it's our music, yeah, absolutely. Don't don't mute the music, okay? Yeah. Even though you can get the game on Spotify, that you, you you realize that there is a community of people who want to support this game. Supergiant has yeah. been... Even as as you're looking at, uh, I was reading up on the website about how fan art or fan uh, creations can mm-hmm. be as long as it's not official. You yeah. know, you're, you're not selling official gear. Yeah. But but I go on to Reddit and I see some amazing fan art. Yeah. About, around this game, and again, the the creations are. Have you had anybody who's done like, I don't know, fan music? Like, have you had oh, musicians yeah. who reach out to you who are Absolutely. like, golly, yeah. I th- I really want to get in and work with you, kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. There's been fan music. The, some of my favorite stuff is when people get tattoos, like of the game's art. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's my favorite thing. Because that's like, that's pretty much the ultimate, like, we well, can't undo that. You know, <laughs> that's pretty much it. you're all in. You get a tattoo. So, yeah, that, that stuff's always really incredible to see. The fan art is awesome and the cosplay and the, yeah, it's amazing. And, and where, because you did, again, the voice of Skelly and the voice of Zagreus. Yeah. Am I missing any voices? Uh, no, I do some enemy stuff, but those are the only characters I do in, in, in this game, yeah. So how the heck did you even, I mean, first of all, why is it a British accent? Yeah, so we, we you know, when we were thinking about how we wanted the characters to sound, mm-hmm. we were thinking about, you know, what is, we wanted to lean into people's sort of what they instantly think about when they think about portrayals of, you know, Greek gods and stuff in media. It's like, mostly what I think about is like, you know, Clash of the Titans and all these older movies where it's like all these proper British sort of more sort of the gods are sort of proper and British essentially in, in a lot of those classic portrayals of, of mm-hmm. the Greek gods. Right. And, you know, we're not having them speaking Greek. So, you know, it's, it's sort of it's it's a way to uh, have them sound different from mm-hmm. uh, some of the other characters and 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 to, to somehow to, to have them. To give them a little bit more cred, I guess, is, is sort of one one way to go about it. And and we have a sort of division is that the the people, the characters that are sort of of the underworld, are don't have don't have a have an American accent, and the the characters that are not, you know, that that are either former Greeks or uh, the gods themselves that have this sort of British accent. And and you know we went we went for sort of like a pan British like 
Western fantasy British accent. Like, you gotcha. know, Lord of, all Lord of the Rings was sort of our approach because we didn't want it to be too, like, regionally specific. And there's variation between characters depending on their vibe and, and everything. Yeah, it, 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 it again, it's it's a beautifully crafted thing. Did you have to uh, try out the voices first? Did you have a few choices or did did, did somebody hear you say it? And you go, OK, that's it. That's the voice. We, yeah. So, I mean, my characters that I ended up doing were just scratch first, you know, and we, where we recorded them and, and put them in the game. And, and while we just while we were developing it and we had auditions for those characters and stuff. But the ones that I ended up doing, we just the team just sort of liked the versions that we had better than any of the auditions that we got. Hmm. And so I just wound up doing them. Um, <laughs> that's how it, well, how it worked. Uh- because I, I interviewed uh, Tim Kitzrow, who was the voice of NBA Jam recently, mm. and he's got a very iconic voice. You know, the boom. Yeah. Oh wait, hold on. Boom I can just, Well, here I've got it. Just like this. This is how I've got it. Like he's on fire. You know. Get that out of here from the Waffle House, located just off the Beltway. Okay. You know, he he talked about though. You know, when he did NBA Jam, it was like, okay, just read this, and then it was, uh, oh, Tim gets to write for the next version. You know. Amazing. Did you get any input or did you just, you know, as we were, as you're cutting up scenes, you're just like, hey, uh, I'm just going to go off script here and maybe say a few silly things, you know? You know, I, it's interesting because because Greg, our writer, Greg Kasavin, our writer and creative director, he 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 always said, you know, if you if, there, if you want to improvise, do additional takes or something, you know, feel free. But just the way that the um, the recording happened and the way that the script was formatted it i ended up just not really wanting to to do that usually just because the material was good and and the it would sort of throw a wrench in the process a little bit it, mm-hmm. just the way we work but but i did do i certainly would message greg like hey we should have a line like this like i was just thinking you know it'd be fun if zach says something like that. and then he'd work it up and do it you know and put in the like official version of it into the script later for recording later and and um and so we, we certainly did a lot of that um and occasionally I'd throw them like, oh, there we should have an exchange about, you know, fishing with your dad or whatever. something <laughs> ridiculous. You know, we got to have like fishing with dad, you know, or some other, uh, you know, Skelly's got to have this kind of a line, you know, um, stuff like that. It, it felt like the fishing was just kind of thrown in as like, a, <laughs> you know, almost like a joke. Yeah. Like there's all these rivers. We might as well just throw fishing in as just yeah. for fun kind of yeah. thing. It doesn't yeah. feel like it was actually integral to the game. And it's, you could play the whole game and not fish. I Absolutely. mean, if you wanted it's to. fully optional. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a way to get some extra resources, you know? Right. And, and about how much time again, for those, for again, for the kids or, or teachers who are wanting to help, you know, you know, message this appropriately. But how many hours did you put in music wise and about how many hours are we talking for voice acting, recording, that kind of stuff? Are you talking? Is this, is this like a process where you never wanted to, like the voice acting part? I imagine it, it's not music. Is that something where you just went, God, I never want to do this again? Or is it something you're like, this is a really cool process? It, it was all a lot of fun. I mean, it was just, you know, we the way we worked on this stuff was more of a, you know, it was a bit of a marathon where. But we managed to sort of spread it out pretty evenly over the course of the three or so years of development that that the project took, um, and it it was you know it wasn't brutal or anything. We didn't we had some periods where it was tighter, and I wanted to get some more stuff done before our next update and things like that. But mm-hmm. but in general, you know, I would say the project 
was split fairly evenly between my work doing music, doing voiceover recording and directing, and sound design stuff and mixing and, and things like that. So maybe with like a slight, maybe the most time on this project might have been voiceover recording potentially. Okay. Um, I don't know. It's pretty close. I bet it's I bet it's close. So it's you know it's sort of about a full year of work on each of those things. More. Oh or less. my gosh. <laughs> you know, Jeez, divided geez. up between between three three years. Yeah. All right. Very big question because uh, my friend Danielle Johnson, who I do the esports edu chats with on Thursday nights on the same channel, uh, she is. I got her convinced to play this game, and she absolutely just loves this game. And she cool. she messaged me and she says, "I hear Darren has a ridiculously fast escape time, like <laughs> like a twelve minute escape yeah. time. Is that true? Yeah, it's about twelve minutes is my best. I I've, I've been trying to do it." I can't. I, I broke. I broke twelve one time, but I can't do it again. I think it might have been like I was playing an OP, you know, before a patch or something. I was playing like, <laughs> but but um, but no, like retail right now. I think my best time is like twelve twenty, maybe. How um, long have you been playing? But you've been playing this game since early access, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. that makes me feel a little better. Oh yeah, yeah. I've been playing it a bunch since. I mean, you know, I I, I probably haven't been played it as much as now. There are people who've played it more than I have, but before it came out, you know, I'd played it more than most people had played it probably. Um, but now there's like speedrunner, it's the whole speedrunning community. I was on Friday. I was part of, I, I commentated on the Hermes cup, which is like a speedrunning event that they do. Um, and people, you know, the world record I think to finish is like six, six or seven minutes or something of in-game time. Really? Yeah. yeah it's crazy. How the, I mean, okay, and this yeah. is with no of the no of the uh, burnt. What do we call them? Um, when you after you complete the game five times. So sometimes it is with heat because the if you turn on forced overtime, it actually speeds up how quickly the enemies spawn in, like by oh. twenty or forty percent. So it, you can actually kill them faster and clear the rooms oh. more quickly. So there's all sorts oh. of high level, and and then if you turn on extreme measures too. Like up to level two, the the hydra heads are grouped more closely together, so you can like wreck them more quickly. Um, all so, right. So, so there's all sorts of pro stuff that 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 speedrunners do. I mean, it's crazy to me. And there's like a, I just saw like there's a fresh file speedrun somebody did, meaning you start the game and then beat it on your first try, and that was 25 minutes. You know, from like with like no power, no rat, no aid, no. There's all this stuff you're missing. No death defiance. No. Yeah. I, I I tried to I tried that because I have it for the, I bought it for the switch as well. Yeah. I'm like, I can't yeah. be at my PC all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sitting at my switch. And of course, after you're playing on PC and then you switch to a new platform and it's all yeah. brand new. I'm like, yeah. oh, my gosh, this is so slow. And the sword yeah. is so terrible. Yeah. And why is this taking yeah. forever? Yeah. yeah, I get that completely. I also I, I'm hopeful because I've seen it in the switch version yeah. that uh, it looks like eventually that hopefully we can cross grab my we, we released cross saves. It exists now. Oh my god! Oh, I know what I'm yeah. doing after this. Yeah, you just gotta oh. connect it to your Steam or Epic accounts, and you'll have your. Oh, I'm so excited! This is fantastic. You just made my Christmas. <laughs> um, so, uh, just a final final bit. Um, you know, obviously you've won IGN named you guys Game of the Year. Yeah. Polygon named you Game of the Year. Yeah. Uh, the Game Awards gave you Action Game of the Year, and indie there was game. one uh, indie game, yeah. right? Since all these accolades have come out, I imagine that there are people who are contacting you, contacting the company, saying, boy, 
you're you're hot here. Can we? What's been, I guess, like the biggest fanboy experience you've had so far of somebody maybe who reached out to you at this point? Gosh, you know, it's it's interesting that the the coolest stuff I've seen isn't isn't people reaching out, but it's like some tweet somebody will do like it was like some major like a gosh, I forget who it was. It was like some big political analyst or somebody on Election Day was like, here's what I'm doing today. I'm like pacing, chewing my fingernails, playing Hades, doing this. I'm like, you know, seeing stuff like that. Like my nephew said it to me. I was like, oh, dude, okay. You know, and there's sort of like the fact that it it bubbled up to the level of sort of broader conversation, not just in video games. It was like we'd never had any of our games do that before. And, and you know, seeing, seeing people just – people saying oh yeah my whole twitter feed is just all people talking about hades and it's all you know and and all that kind of stuff it's like that's a new thing for us for sure um you know stuff like the washington post you know uh thing you know the articles that they wrote about it i mean that's like what we refer to on team that the game entered the parento sphere where it's like (laughs) a thing your parents will know what it is when you tell them about it like hey we're watching them and they'll be like wow that's uh, you know so that that kind of stuff has has been really cool it it is it is actually you know i'm i'm 45 i've got three kids and i introduced my kids to haiti so it was nice to be able to turn around to my 17 and 14 and 12 year old and be like Try this. You're going to like it. Oh, really, Dad? Yes, really, children. You will like this. And you might learn something along the way because I I was a huge uh, Greek mythology nerd as a child. Fifth grade was a big one. Freshman year of high school, especially. And I'm I'm reading this and I'm looking at this going, oh, this is scratching every itch. The video games, the storyline, the music, like this is just every pleasure center of my brain is being hit at the same time. So thank you for all the work that you've done. One final question. And this is a major one. Again, we're a couple Mm -hmm. of Bay area kids. We're peninsula. Well, you're, you're San Jose. I mean, it's fine. But um, where do you go when you're back? Because you're in Berkeley. You live over in Berkeley. Yeah. Like East Bay. Yeah. Yeah. But but when you're back over uh, on peninsula side, Mm -hmm. where do you go for pizza? For pizza? Mm. Oh gosh. Or do you? I mean, yeah, I that... mean, on the peninsula? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't spend a lot of time in the peninsula. I know, like, South Bay stuff. Well, that's what I'm talking. I mean, I mean, down, like, down San Jose area, up and down the, yeah. If, you know, I, I didn't have a pizza place that I thought was very good, like, until I, I, I still don't know of a great pizza place in the South Bay. I'm sure there is one now, but I didn't grow up with great pizza. Like, I love, my favorite stuff's, like, Falafel Drive-In oh. in San Jose. That place is... It's one of my favorite places. Uh, I think it's like, and it's been there for years, and it's one of the best, best food things in, in San Jose, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, um, it, it's funny. A lot of people don't realize this, and you might remember this. You were maybe a little young. I took classes at San Jose State in 1992, I think the summer of 92. And, oh, my God, downtown San Jose before the dot-com boom was a demilitarized zone. Yeah, it was not not a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think after they they filmed Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, it was, like, left half destroyed. And then, you know, eventually you get, you know, the the Sharks came in and built their arena and that kind of rebuilt the area. Yeah, I I remember all that. Yeah, I mean, I was young, but I I remember all that stuff. And and I I did – I used to do San Jose Children's Musical Theater. Mm -hmm. Um over sort of in downtown area and 
And like, I just remember, I mean, I was, you know, I was a kid, so my parents would drive me through and I'd be like, what is this place? What is this area? Like we were in some, rehearsing in some warehouse, some dilapidated warehouse or something. Yeah. I, I remember my, my aunt and uncle took my sister and I to a computer animation festival mm-hmm. at this old movie house in downtown San Jose. I mean, it was like, roll up the windows. Don't make any eye contact with anybody. We're just going in here. We're going to watch it. And it's where I saw the first, uh, I saw the Pixar movie with the, uh, with the light bouncing on the ball. I, I remember that vividly. I must've been about 10 years old, 11 yeah. years old, something like yeah. that. Yeah. It's so funny just how the Bay area has changed so much yeah. in, you know, 20, 30 years. Uh, yeah especially just because of all the things that have happened. I drive by my old high school and I'm like, I've never seen that B- type of BMW before or Mercedes. Yeah, yeah, Where do yeah. they get this money? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, my pizza place is Amici's. Amici's, uh, okay. If cool. You, yeah, if you, yeah. yeah I, I vaguely remember that. You know, there was, a, there was a place, I used to like pizza and pipes, actually. I think it's gone now. S- yes, in Daly City. Yeah, yeah well, pizza and pipes. There was another one in San Jose. Oh. There was, there was one on Winchester, I think. Uh, and it was called like Angelino's Pizza and Pipes or something like that. And they had like a giant pipe organ around the whole place. And a guy would come in and like do all the bells and whistles and play yep. Star Wars or whatever on the on the thing. Yeah, that place was fun. How many times did you do the Winchester Mystery House tour? Only a handful. I mean, I, I did it like but more as, than once. Yeah, yeah, I did it more than once for sure. I did it as like a little kid. And then I did it again, maybe as like a teenager. And then like one other time. And I think I, I had a buddy there who like parked cars over the summer or something he was like or like didn't park he directed the parking lot yeah over the summer yeah um, it, it for those of you who don't know if you ever get the chance it is actually kind of an interesting tour even if you yeah. like victorian style homes uh that kind of thing it's 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 weird it's very weird but you might enjoy because the whole bay area is weird yeah. so uh Derek corb again voice of zagreus voice of skelly IGN, Polygon, 2020 Game of the Year, and Musical Composer. I'm sure those awards will be coming soon. Because, again, as I told you before we started this, I go into, I got my Spotify 2020 review, and a lot of the Hades songs made my top list in my 2020 review. Wow. Derek Corp, thank you for being so giving of your time and being a guest on the Academy of Esports podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. That will do it for this week on the Academy of Esports. I've been your host, James O'Hagan. Esports are organized competitive video games allowing schools to redefine their athletic culture, diversify opportunities for student participation, promote good physical and mental health, increase collegiate scholarship pathways, and play games. We can never forget the importance of play. The mission of the Academy of Esports is to support these ideals. The vision of the Academy of Esports is for all students to experience the fun and joy of playing competitive video games. You may follow me on Twitter, at Jim O'Hagan. That's at J-I-M-O-H-A-G-A-N. And through the Academy of Esports account, at T-A-O Esports. It's a great way to get the latest blog posts, podcast episodes, and news coming out of esports and education. And remember, You can continue your engagement by going to www.taoesports.com. You can also connect through Facebook at www.facebook.com slash taoesports. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to our time again next week.